In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Christ is in our midst. <coughs> every one of us, every one of us has been created in the image and likeness of God. So we read in just the first chapter of Genesis. And I hope that we all have heard and have accepted and believed this truth that we are created in his image and likeness. And so what does this mean? Well, that's the story of salvation, what this means. That's the, the message of scripture, the message of the gospels, and the teaching of the church, and the experience of our life in the church, the body of Christ is to understand what this means for each and every one of us. Not just us collectively, but each and every one of us. What does this mean for us that we are created in his image and his likeness? We are created by him. And within this reality and this truth of our creation, we each have a desire, a longing for God. And we see this all the time, and every one of us understands this. Although we may not understand that that desire is a longing for God, we all understand what desire is, because we have so many of them. Very basic ones of food and water, shelter, of safety, of security, of friendship, of love, of protection, of all these things. We have these desires. But below all of this, not just below, the foundation of all this is our desire, our longing for God, He who created us. So when we think about this, it really comes down to the desire for one thing, and that is the desire for life, to live. To live, and as the Gospels say, as the Scriptures say, to live a, an abundant life. Because who here would say, no, I don't want to live an abundant, fulfilling, happy life? I would think all of us would say that and want that. Sadly, that doesn't happen for everyone, for whatever reason, and there are lots of reasons we could talk about, but that's not the point. Every one of us desires that, to live that kind of life. And that's what the fundamental basis of this is a desire to live an abundant, fulfilling life. But as Christians, we understand what this life is and where this life comes from. And so that's really what is within our journey, our journey towards Pascha that we walk on every year, but really our journey from the time we're born until the time that we die is to understand, to really understand this desire for life and what it means for us, especially as Christians. So let's look back at to what the moment, as I said, that God created mankind, God created humans. We read again in scripture that he took dirt from the earth 
and he fashioned it into man, into Adam. But Adam did not have life, as we read, until something happened. And that was until he breathed into him the breath of life. Chapter 2, verse 7. The breath of life. Pnevma, as we read in the scriptures. What is this breath of life? It's the very presence of God himself. This is the breath of life. It's not just the, the air that we breathe or the experiences that we have, as I've heard before. This is the breath of life for those who would take God out of the equation. It's everything around us. This is the breath. No, it's the very presence of God himself. The very presence of God himself existed in Adam and Eve. And first man and first woman. And he gave us, or our forefather and mother, Adam and Eve, all the gifts of life with this breath that he breathed into us. All the blessings and the gifts and the fulfillment of life. And yet, as we know the rest of the story, Adam and Eve sinned. They were disobedient. They, they did not fully honor or respect or express obedience to this presence of God within them, this breath of life. And so they were expelled. It's as if they expelled, rather, the breath of God from them. And this is why we use these words in the funeral service that we pray that the Creator will restore us to our original beauty, restore us to the way we were created, to fill us with this breath of life, God's presence. It didn't go away. God was still there, but it was disfigured. It was distorted through sin. And this is the history of humanity. And yet, as we celebrated last week in the Sunday of Orthodoxy, the, the triumph of Orthodoxy, when we triumphantly carried around these icons, not just so we could see the wonderful procession and all of our children up here, which was also very wonderful, with all of them holding their icons up high, but to reminded that God became like one of us. He became like us in every way except for sin. To offer us that way, that restoration back to the point when we had fully the breath of God within us. This is why we, why the church, rightly and properly depicted our Lord and all the saints on icons. And this is why through the Holy Spirit, that they were returned to their proper worship, or their proper veneration. I keep saying that, proper worship, their proper veneration. Because God became one of us. He became us so that we could be returned to Him most fully. So this was last week. This week, we commemorate St. Gregory of Palamas, a 14th century saint. 
And, and there's, a, there's a story about Gregory of Palamas. He was a monastic and then he ultimately became Archbishop of Thessalonica, Thessaloniki, and his relics are there in the Metropoli there in, in Thessaloniki. Those of you who've been there venerate his relics. But he's known for the, uh, the understanding of hesychasm, of silent prayer. But really the connection, why we commemorate this Sunday, second Sunday of Lent, St. Gregory of Palamas, is because what he fought against, the heresy of a heretic by the name of Barlam, who said, we can know everything about God. We have a mind, we can know everything about God. And St. Gregory said, wait a minute, the mystery of God, the essence of God cannot be known. But his energies, you hear this all the time, his energies, how he revealed himself to us is knowable. First and foremost, in his son, Jesus Christ. And what did we read in the gospel today? What did they say when our Lord performed these miracles? They said, why does this man speak thus? It is a blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so our Lord, of course, patient as he is, responded to them. Well, let me show you something that you understand. I can heal this man, a paralytic, so he can walk. That is knowable. You can see that. He wasn't walking and now he is. But I forgave his sins. That which is in his heart. And I say this when anyone, many of you who come to confession, God knows everything about you. I don't, but God does. He knows what's in your heart. He knows you. He knows all of us. I can read the prayers. You can confess, but ultimately the forgiveness comes from him because I don't know that. I can't know ultimately what's in each and every one of your hearts. But God does. This is the unknowable to us, but the knowable to God. And so this is what our Lord, this is why we read this gospel on this day. St. Gregory Palamas is saying, the essence of God we cannot know, but his energies we can. And what are the energies of God? Well, here's just a few of them. The energies of God. First and foremost, love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is one of his energies. This is one of his expressions. This is one of the actions of God. Joy. How many of us can say even in the midst of struggles or strife or challenges or fears or all these things, when we have a moment of joy, this is from God. This is his energy. This is his action. This is his presence in our life. Patience. The thing I struggle with the most is patience. But yet, at those few moments when I do feel that way, it's a gift from God. It's his energy. It's his, it's his uh, expression. It's his, it's his presence in our lives. Mercy. Comfort. 
growth, healing, physical and spiritual, forgiveness, justice, in the, in the sense of, of our Lord, creation, compassion. These are just a few of the energies of God. And we see this all around us. We've experienced it in our lives at times, and we see it in others. You see, this is how we know God. And this is what St. Gregory was saying. And this is what our Lord was teaching the people that there that house that day. There are things you can see, and there are things you can't see. There are things you know, but there are things you don't know. But so that you know that I am God, he's telling these people, and he's telling us today, your sins are forgiven. This is what St. Gregory fought against because there were those intellectuals who say we can know everything about everything because we've studied this or we've studied that and we're smarter than everybody else. We see this all around us in this world today. Education's not bad. Being educated is a wonderful thing. It is a gift and many good things have come from being educated in the gift of, of people's minds. But one of the things I always say to my sons is common sense sometimes and oftentimes is much greater than having education. Now I want my sons to be educated, but I want them to have common sense. I want them to know how to live in this world, but not of it. I want them to make the Lord God their God and not knowledge and education their God. I want them to seek the knowledge of God and his wisdom in their life as followers of Jesus Christ who is the essence of the energies of God. This is what I want for them and this is what I want and I pray for all of you and all of us. This is the message today of the second Sunday of Lent. To know that God became one of us and is rightly worshipped and venerated in icons and to understand that he becomes real and alive to us through his energies, through all these wonderful blessings that we've been given and we are called to seek. And then we can say, just as those who said in the gospel today, we have never seen anything like this. Amen.